Welcome to the Astroholic Explains. I'm your host Chris. And I'm Alfredo, the Astroholic. This is a podcast where I throw some cosmic conundrums your way. And I try my best to answer them. Let's get started. Today's question is a little bit of a two-parter because I've tried to be a little bit smart and come up with something quite fun, but if my terminology is completely wrong, then it may screw up the entire question, in which case I've got a backup. Can I take the mickey out of you if uh, it's completely wrong? I don't think I get a choice in that. Of course not. <laughs> so go ahead. Right, okay. So, up there in the sky at night. Earth. So far, so so good. Yeah, Very that's, all correct. That's, that's great. Earth Although, up. It's well, relatively up. up from where we are. You're not going to look down at the stars unless you're upside down. Anyway, let me let me ask my question. Go on. Up above us, in the sky, up above us, we see Ursa Major, we see Ursa Minor. All of the bears in space, but today I want to talk to you about the Goldilocks zone. Oh. It's a nice little segue into that. I'm quite pleased with that, if it's what I think it means anyway. So what I am interested in is the habitable zone yes. in space, the, this Goldilocks zone. Yeah, that is correct. Not too hot, not too cold, it's just right yes. in terms of conditions for life. Yes. Tell us about that. Alright, very good intro with the Ursa Major and Ursa Minor, since they are the bears. We need a third bear. I know. So, I couldn't think of one. Mm, no, I, I will have to think about it. So let's talk about uh, Goldilocks Zone. So the Goldilocks Zone is this nickname for the habitable zone. Again, it's, as all classification in science, it's limited by its own design, and the design is humans. So we think that the best places for life around a star is where water can be found in all its three states. So you have ice, you have liquid water, and you have water vapor in the atmosphere. That's really cool. I didn't know it was to do with all three states. I mean, obviously there was a lot of talk on, you know, if there's water, there could be life, but I didn't know that other conditions were the three states. Well, why is it important to have the three states? And I'm asking you. You're asking, I'm not the astroholic. This is the astroholic explains, not Chris explains. <laughs> all right. Well, <laughs> the importance of the three states is that uh, they're crucial to the water cycle. So water, you're making a, <laughs> weird, uh, confused <laughs> face, face and I'm just like, this you should know probably from primary school oh, or GCSC. No, it's, let's not go there. Okay, water moves around the planet and evaporates uh, and form clouds, mm -hmm. which and are then, also up in the sky. And then the clouds float over the pointy mountains and yes. get ripped open and then there's rain. Rain and mm. snow and form ice yeah. and uh, glaciers, uh, although, I don't know, Maybe by the time you listen to this podcast, there are no more glaciers, <laughs> who knows, uh, nowadays. And then uh, the water goes from the mountains uh, to the sea, in rivers, etc. And that is important because uh, you're not just moving water, you're also moving uh, minerals uh, and nutrients uh, and life itself. Oh, I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Other thing that uh, might be extremely helpful for life is volcanism. Mm -hmm. and volcanic activity because something like geothermal vents have a lot of complex chemistry so hot spring and you 
um, complex chemistry um, there as well. So I know um, that a lot of people think that anywhere where there are hydrothermal vents, like underwater smoking volcanoes mm -hmm. or underwater smoking chimneys, as they describe yeah. them, they're teeming with life. Yes. On Earth. Yeah, um, so on Earth, uh, if you don't know, Chris is a little bit of a nerd when it comes to the deep ocean. I am. It, he hates getting into the <laughs> shallow ocean, but... Uh, I would never go in it, but it fascinates me. So there are these phenomenal videos of hydrothermal vents uh, at the bottom of the ocean, and you can see they are like surrounded by so many life forms. And there are some bacteria that can survive inside a temperature of a few, probably a few hundred degrees. I can't remember exactly, but uh, yes, these are called extremophiles. So there are bacteria that can survive these borderline impossible conditions. But life uh, finds a way. <laughs> I can't believe you. Okay, that's fine. They're not dinosaurs. No, they're better because, uh, to be honest, dinosaurs uh, survived. Take that back. Dinosaurs survived. Let's stop pretending that it got extinct. Just that now they're pigeons and chickens, and we're not as exciting <laughs> to see them. Uh, anymore because we just expect uh, something scaly and uh, building size. Anyway, back onto the habitable zone. So we assume that since for us uh, the best thing is the water cycle, that's what we need on uh, exoplanets. So when we look at exoplanets, uh, we have a range uh, of the possible distances uh, where the light of the star is enough to produce a temperature on the planet uh, which would allow water to be in all three states. Okay. So mostly what we're interested in is the liquid water part uh, because uh, if it's further out you will definitely have ice. Yeah. There is the thing uh, around the star system, called, uh, even around our solar system called the snow line. And uh, if it's uh, too close uh, you could have a gassy water vapor atmosphere. You want uh, the right middle ends Goldilocks. So, is that uh, a perfect uh, approach? No, there is a lot that we don't know and understand about life, and it's uh, a very arbitrary life zone, but also has limitation when it comes uh, uh, to planets, because we're seeing so many exoplanets now. There are, I think, over 4,000 uh, confirmed, wow. and we have on, on a few thousand more candidate uh, exoplanets. These are all within the Milky Way? All we, uh, within the Milky Way. Have we ever seen a planet outside the Milky Way? Uh, I think there was a possible detection around a pulsar in Andromeda, but now I don't remember. That's amazing. Uh, if So let's assume that no, we haven't seen it. Okay, fine. We have a lot of planets uh, within the habitable zone of their host stars. It's... Trappist. Trappist was one. Yeah. The Trappist-1 system has three planets. So that is a red dwarf, so much smaller and much dimmer than the sun. And it's got seven planets. All of them roughly the size of the Earth. And three of them are in the habitable zone. Ooh. But it doesn't mean that they can support life. Habitable zone, it's a good place to start but there is so much more that you need for a habitable planet. You need atmosphere. Likely, you need a magnetic field, especially Trappist-1, something that it's making 
researcher questioned the possibility of life is although the star is smaller and dimmer than the sun, the planets are much closer and the star is a lot more active. More radiation? Uh, yeah, like X-rays, solar yeah. flares, star flares. Yeah. So the magnetic storm and everything, if the planets don't have a strong magnetic field like Earth does, they would end up losing their atmospheres like Mars did. Mm -hmm. Coming back to the solar system mm -hmm. briefly, sorry. Is there anywhere else in our solar system that could support life, theoretically? Possibly. Let's uh, first see it with uh, the Goldilocks zone in the solar system. It's uh, roughly from Venus to Mars, but uh, Earth is the only habitable planet. In the solar system, there are three possible places where life could be. At least those are the frontrunners. There is Mars. We have some circumstantial evidence that uh, there might be life underground. There is... Uh, actual Martians. Actual Martians, although instead of uh, little green people, they're probably bacteria, a very simple life form. This is actually something else I was going to ask you as well, is what do you think other life in the universe could look like, or may even be likely to look like? Or is there infinite possibilities? Um, not infinite possibility, but a lot of possibilities. Uh, let me finish on the solar system first though. Other two places are the moon of Jupiter Europa and the moon of Saturn Enceladus. Both of them are icy moon with a deep ocean underneath the ice crust, and there is hydrothermal activity on both of them. A mission's being sent there to investigate? A um, mission to Europa is now in the works. Oh wow, when is it expected to go? I think uh, uh, late 2020s. Whoa, that soon? That's like 10 years, if yeah. not less. I mean, that's still really soon. I don't uh, know why, I guess, I mean, if I don't know. people I, are trying to I wanted like Mars. yesterday, so. Yeah. But the outer solar system is further away, so missions are a lot more complicated than sending something to Mars that can arrive in seven months. Although we still have uh, missions, uh, still fail because it's very, very difficult to send something and make them land on a different planet. And I don't think that uh, the Europa mission would be landing. I think the plan is just to try and work out uh, potential life signature uh, using uh, the emission from uh, its geysers. So, so there are plumes uh, of material that uh, uh, are released uh, by the moon and uh, so capturing those uh, particles and try to work out oh, what's in it. Okay. Yeah, my idea for that would have been they just send something over there and like smash it through the crust into the, the waters beneath the ice. But I don't know, is that not a good idea? For many reasons. Why is it not? that is a terrible, terrible idea. Why is it not a good idea? Well, I would guess that sending something all the way over there just to smash it into the surface could result in it destroying itself and being a wasted mission anyway. Or if, Th that is if, very good from a technical point of view. Yeah. If there was something living under there, smashing through might scare it away, and you wouldn't see it. Or Contamination? Contamination is the right answer. Prime Directive. Uh, prime Directive, I suppose. What if, rather than smashing it like that though, if they landed something on the surface and drilled through and then put a tiny little probe, would that be the same? It's until we work out uh, how to make 
things really, really sterile and we're still not there. We shouldn't be doing those kind of mission. Okay. But there is a discussion on how it is likely that uh, contaminations uh, from Mars and Earth uh, might have reached uh, the outer solar system moons already. Contamination from Mars and Earth. Like, we know that there are Mars asteroids and there's been a long discussion if we saw bacteria, ancient bacteria in these asteroids or not. Okay. They look a little bit like bacteria, but they're not the right size, they're much smaller than Earth's bacteria. Are they bacteria? Are they something else? Are they just weird rock formation? We don't know. Well, give it time, I'm sure we'll see headlines of microplastics found in alien life. <laughs> well, we'll, uh, we'll probably uh, already are contaminating and polluting the solar system. So when major impacts happen, material is thrown into orbit and calculation has shown that uh, some of these rocks can reach the outer solar system moon. So is Earth biologically isolated? It's a complicated question. So if we get to Europa and Enceladus and we detect bacteria that uh, has similar approach to how works as Earth's bacteria, that would be very interesting. And I think it would be as equally interesting if we get there and we found life uh, and it's something completely, completely different uh, from how it works on Earth. I Both think have very, very important implications so that was just me to go on the answering your interrupted question <laughs> what is alien life gonna be like and sincerely who knows it's anyone that tells you oh it's gonna be like this uh, doesn't know Nobody we don't knows. know it's uh, it's complicated do we think that uh, dna and rna carbon-based are... life forms yeah th like there are ideas of could you have a silicon-based life form Silicon doesn't form uh, long chains like uh, carbon does. So carbon base is probably still very likely, but maybe there's something that we haven't quite discovered yet. Or there is, uh, and carbon is also a lot more abundant. Um, so carbon makes sense. Structure like uh, DNA makes sense, but uh, they've recently shown that you can have uh, eight bases DNA. They've created this artificial DNA that just works fine. Instead of having the standard four GACT bases, you can have eight bases and it still works fine. So maybe something DNA-like, but not DNA as we know it. Wow. It's complex and complicated and we cannot say, oh, this is what it will look like. And it might be humanoid, it might not be humanoid. Likely to be tiny little cells. Likely to be tiny little cells. Uh, or is or... it equally as likely to be some giant monstrous alien that's going to eat everyone? Uh, we tend to be the giant monstrous aliens that, that tend to eat everyone. I don't know, it's just uh, everything is complicated, but yes, if we need to consider that the most uh, prolific life forms on our planet are very simple organism, then uh, the most likely things that we're going to encounter in space anytime soon is another microorganism rather than some gigantic monstrous overlord. Well, that's probably for the best, at least I'd hope anyway. So thank you very much for answering my alien-based question today. I hope you had fun. I always have fun and you're very welcome.
Do you have any burning questions for the Astroholic? If so, send them in to me, at Elucifer, on Twitter, and I will spring it on him in an upcoming episode. See you next time!